Does anybody not have uh, last week's lesson? Because uh, I didn't get very far in, in lesson two. And uh, there's a very real possibility I won't get very far in lesson three. Everybody's got lesson three? And as you'll notice, uh, lesson three is a continuation of two. So the, if the uh, outline doesn't look very correct, that's purposeful. Uh, does everybody have lesson two? So we're going to start. We're in the prologue. We've been a while in the prologue. I'm not going to be Pastor Terry, but uh, I want to. Very, it's very important that we understand the prologue. The prologue is a is a outline for what John is going to teach in the rest of his book. And there is much theology in the prologue, so we need to understand the prologue very importantly. The prologue is always going to point to the themes of the book. Remember, the, the, the great theme of the book of John is the divinity of Christ. Life is mentioned many, many times. Eternal life and abundant life in the here and now. We'll talk about that in great detail as we go through this great book. Believe is, is over 100 times in the book of John. So it is one of the great themes of, uh, of the book of John. And so the book is very evangelistic. And the book is very detailed in the explanation that will lead us to the evangelism. Theology is paramount in the book of John, yet it is not a complicated theology. He doesn't use sanctification, justification, the big church words. He uses life. He uses believe. He uses darkness. He uses light in contrast forms. But he does it because it is. he writes very understandingly to us. First John is very understanding, and so it's not written in a lot of big church words, so to speak. And this book is written for this very purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So that's why this book is written, and that's why the theology of the book, because all of the points of the book point to these themes of the book. Now, we started the prologue. We didn't get very far and we're going to organize this prologue thusly, and that's because of the. Uh, this makes it easier for us to outline it. And we started uh, last week uh, with this prologue, and we outlined it. And we started with I don't even remember how I started it. His eternality in his preexistence. And we said, in the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was with God. And Jesus Christ was God. And we talked about the importance of this. It's pointing to His divinity. Because if you don't know who Christ is, you are not going to be able to believe. And you're not going to understand the proper theology. And you're not going to be in a mode where you're going to receive His gospel. You've got to know who Jesus Christ is. If I'll pick on Rusty... One of the things that was in his struggle was his struggle to understand who Jesus was, that Jesus Christ was not just a man, but he's fully God and he's fully man. And as God, he's the only one able to redeem us and to propitiate our sins. And so we need we have to understand who Jesus is and that Jesus has always existed. There's never been a time where he did not exist in that confirms that He is God. He is an uncreated being. He is the second person of the Godhead. And so we talked about that in great detail. We talked about the what, what the concept of Logos was and why Paul used, I mean John used the word Logos because he was writing to the Jew and he was writing to the Greek and to the Gentile mind. And he used this concept of logos to, to appeal in an evangelistic effort to the Greeks and to the Gentiles in which he was writing. And I won't go over great detail. It's in your notes. But it tells us about his eternity and his preexistence in this concept of logos. And so it is not incorrect to say in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus 
was God. And we looked at all the verses where Jesus says, I am, I am. The Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you don't believe me and my works, believe the Father's works who sent me for his, for my Father testifies of me. And so we looked at all these verses. So we see the importance of the prologue. The second thing we looked at, you know, uh, is we looked at his pre-incarnate work, and that is going to be where we land today. We understand that Jesus, before he tabernacled among men, before he took on humanity and added to himself humanity, something that did not exist before, he's always existed in eternity past. And we're going to see some of his work in eternity past, and that's going to be found in verse 3 through 5. Uh, I think this is where we landed. Let me uh, read this again, and then we'll uh, get started with his pre-incarnate work, what he did before he became a man and dwelt among us. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was a light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him, that through him they might believe. He wasn't that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was a true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world didn't know him. He came into his own, and his own didn't receive him, but as many as received him. To them he graced the authority to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became mortal man and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He will come after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we've all received, grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So we see the pre-incarnate work. We see this, verse 3, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Are you confused, as I used to be, who created this planet? It tells us in the beginning, Elohim God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form in darkness and void, and darkness covered the faith of the earth. And God, Elohim, said, let there be light. So we understand that God, the Godhead, is participates in the creation. But in the New Testament, we get more enlightenment, and we see from various scriptures that Jesus Christ is the agent of creation, but God the Father is the author of creation. What does that mean? Jesus is the agent of creation and God the Father is the author. What does that mean? It's a tough concept, isn't it? Good describer. Was you going to the builder? So we see that Jesus in His pre-incarnate-ness, if that's a word, He is the creator of the earth. And we see that, uh, we, I just quoted uh, Genesis 1-1, and then it, then it said, then it says in 1:26, let us make man in our image. All plural, God, Father, Son, uh, involved in the creation of the world. So we understand that. And we also see uh, in Colossians 1.6, if you'll look in Colossians 1.16, excuse me, we see more specifically of Jesus' role as the agent, the builder of creation. We see this as Paul writes to the church at Colossae, 
Uh, we see this Colossians 1.16, For by Him, for by Jesus, this is talking about the preeminence of Christ, for by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All create things were created through Him and for Him. And so we see Him as the agent of creation. It's the, the word through Him and the agent, that's sort of like the word... He's the, the intermediary cause of creation. Just like faith is the intermediary cause of, of, salva- of creation, so faith is the intermediary cause of salvation. It's not the primary cause. Grace is. But so we see the Father is the, the, the author of creation, and Jesus is the agent of creation. And we see that also in Hebrews 1, uh, in this great introduction to the book. Uh, that uh, that we read about uh, speaking of uh, God's revelation of His Son Jesus, we see this uh, God who at various times and in various ways has spoken time fast to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He's appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. There's that phrase again: through whom also He made the worlds who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, we talked about this last week, and upholding all things by the word of His power. And so we can read the rest of that. So we see that Jesus is an agent of creation. And then if you look at the saints that are worshiping Christ in glory in heaven, look what the saints say in the Revelation. We see this in chapter 4. Eleven. Speaking of worshiping Christ, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Not only does Jesus, the agent of creation, uh, one of my commentators said, Jesus is the preserver of all things which are created. He is the orderer of nature, and He upholds all things by the will of His power. If He takes away His spirit, life cease to exist. As Keith says, all the subatomic, subatomic particles in our bodies are held together by the power of Christ, by the Spirit of Christ. He's the glue that makes it stick. As in Psalm 104, if He takes away His Spirit from animals, they die. He holds out their hands and He feeds them and sustains them. And He is the giver and the author of life. And if He closes His hands, metaphorically speaking, they cease to exist and they die. So He is the creator of all things. Okay, so I think that's important to understand that in His pre-incarnate work... As, as John perfectly describes who Christ is, not only as, in His eternality and His preexistence, but the work He did before He added to Himself humanity, all of this is going to point to believing and trusting the author and the finisher of the faith. And He does that beautifully, but He takes His time. And all this He's going to develop later. All of these thoughts... He develops later in the book, and we will look at all of them in great detail. But remember, the prologue is the outline for what he's going to do later. And then it says, in him was life. And remember the word life in this scripture 36 times. This is 100 plus times. These concepts, these themes. And so Jesus is the... Agent of creation, he's created all things. And also it says, and because he's the agent of creation, he's the creator of all things, and without him nothing is made that is made, out of nothing he makes things. This is concept of, uh, have you ever heard this concept, concept, nihilo? The word is out of nothing, something. Out of nothing, something. So this is concept of his creative work that he speaks life out of nothing, something. Ex nihilio, it's a Hebrew phrase. And so Jesus in his pre-incarnate work, out of nothing, he speaks and then creation exists. And so because of these thoughts in him was life. In my notes I have 
that uh, uh, it, life not only refers to the physical, we have life, we have our being, but most importantly, it's the spiritual life, which is a gift from Him. In this spiritual life, when we speak of in Him was life, let's do some inductive Bible study. Not only is it the physical, which we understand intuitively, because He is our Creator, but I want to think about this spiritually. And the Scripture speaks of, in John, we're going to get into this later because this is an outline. He talks about abundant life, and he talks about eternal life. Tell me about these two concepts. In Him is life. Obviously, we understand the physical, but what is the spiritual life that, that he refers to? What does abundant life mean? And it's in the when, the now. I get a kick out of Christians that are always looking forward to glory, but they don't, li- they don't live in the now because God intends us to have abundant life now. What does that mean? And I'm going to challenge you to go into your own life. And what does it mean that Jesus, in Him is life? And I'm talking about abundant life for the now. And how does that uh, reveal itself in your life? Abiding in Him, that's part of abundant life. Abiding. And we've talked about this. Uh, and this concept is going to be, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, and abide is mentioned nine or ten times. And this concept of abiding in Him, and we will talk about that until you understand the concept, I hope, when we get to John 15. This is going to be brought out very strongly. And this knowing Him is, is what David talked about. Is, is, is it, we're not going to base our life based upon emotional responses, but we're going to base it upon our experiential knowledge of who He is. Okay? And what the Word reveals. Yes, ma'am. I think it's the opposite of everything. The world thinks of abundant and they think material things. For us, it's spiritually. It's joy in the midst of sorrow. It's Grace when we fall is love despite our our weakness and our sinfulness and all of those sides of it. She's a good wife, isn't she? Opposite of the world, joy and sorrow, grace and when we fall. It's it's uh, it's it's love when when men or women are living in sin, and it's compassion. Uh, this is all part of abundant in Him was life. Spiritual life abundant. Yes, somebody else have one. Fruit of the Spirit is all part of the abundant life. The armor that we put on is all part of abundant life. Yes? For me, it's peace. It's peace. I don't have any more of those, brother. And Who's got... We need three. got plenty of those. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Any others we have? Uh, what did you say? Uh, we got uh, peace. Power of His resurrection. Paul says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. And part of knowing the power of His resurrection is knowing the fellowship of His sufferings. And I, as I told my group, I used to have a little trouble with praying that prayer. And I says, if necessary, the power of the suffering, the fellowship of your suffering. But now I don't. So whatever will be done, right? So the fellowship of his sufferings are all part of the abundant life that he himself is and gives us. Any others for abundant? Hope. Hope. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. What'd you say, Dan? Confidence in his Confidence in the attributes of God. His immutability can't lie. It's all part of the abundant life meant for us today to get us through the difficulty of life that David spoke on so eloquently. 
All these are, are all evidences and are part of be having abundant life, which is intended for us now. And as my wife said, it is the opposite of what the thief wants to do. He wants to kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And this is all part of the outline that's going to lead to the themes as we get into that chapter uh, specifically. So we have, in Him was life. And of course we know what eternal life is. Uh, eternal life is, is yet future, yet it is present. We live in the notion, in the mindset, in the hope that we will, when our bodies are decayed and died, we will have new bodies fit for heaven in glory forever, right? With no sin nature, no ability to sin. That's all part of the eternal hope, satisfaction, confidence based upon who God is, based upon the fact that Jesus is God. Everybody understand that? That's why this book is evangelistic. Because when you talk to people about God... Then you start talking to people about Jesus, and then you tell people that, 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 that we need to be reconciled to the Godhead, and well, that's part of the evangelism. So, in Him was life. Any questions, comments? And so, uh, and so we understand uh, in the last part of that sentence in, in, in point B2, most important, we understand that life is a spiritual gift through Him, and we will talk about that in chapter 3, 6, 8, 10, 14, and 17, and you will understand this concept as we get through it. Okay, and the next one, uh, in the, my memory is terrible. Life was the light of men, in Him was life, and the life is the light of men. Calvin said, you notice the distinction, he says, men, he didn't say life was the light of creation, men, because men are, are created in his, in his image, and men have a God-given conscience, and so this light is to his creation, to specifically his men who have the ability to rationalize and understand life of the light was not to animals or, or other created beings, it is to men specifically. Uh, it says mankind was created with a conscience and an ability to reason as to the claiming of his creator. He was made in God's image and he was made to give God glory. And so we see this concept that Jesus is life light. And we understand we're going to get into this when we get into these seven I am's of Jesus. But one of the I am's is that I am the light of the world. And so we're going to look at all the ramifications of what light does and the specific uh, purposes of light. But this basically means, and I'll read, uh, I believe this is uh, MacArthur, the divine life illuminates the inner light of men. And the divine light, uh, what does light do? I'm going to go ahead and look at this concept because I'm going to get into it in, in, uh, in John 8 12. But this concept that Jesus' life is the light of men. What does light do? Pardon me? Visualizes the dark places. That's very nurse-like, very good answer. Dark places. It exposes darkness. It's a flashlight. Have you ever a flashlight on roaches and they all so one of the roles of, of, of Christ that he's a light he exposes and he visualize he visualizes and he exposes the dark what else does light do it illuminates a path illuminates he has healing qualities healing qualities And I know you can't read that gibberish. Illuminates a path and it has healing quantities, qualities. Light. Clarity. Clarity. Look at this. I can do this board this way. It makes my life easier. So he's the life that's the light of men. He exposes our darkness. He illuminates the path. He, he shows us the way and he's the way. 
and, uh, and he has healing quantity. Any, any other th- concepts? We're going to get into that in great detail. I just wanted to briefly touch on light. Uh, growth, absolutely. I think it also has a context of truth. Truth, absolutely. Beautiful. Beautiful thinking. Good inductive Bible study. And this is good warm-up for what we're going to get into in the book of John. He is the illumination. Jesus is the light. He is the, in the bottom of three on your notes. He is the illumination, the source of all that is perfect and good, and that naturally repels evil and darkness. So we see that all things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing made was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we see this. And then it says, and the light shines in the darkness. So one of the things the light does, it exposes, does this. And look what it says. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now what John does in this book, everybody got this? The light shines in the darkness. And when the word darkness is used multiple times, in the book of John, and it is always used in contrast to light. And when the word darkness is used, it has a negative connotation. So the light exposes the darkness. And darkness has this connotation of evil world system. It exposes the darkness of Jesus. And it says, And this light is the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, this is very interesting. I've studied this so many times, and and this light exposes the darkness. And it says the light and the darkness doesn't comprehend it. The darkness doesn't comprehend. Now what are your other Now in this what is very interesting, I've always been taught and trained that the word comprehend, that the Greek word is uh and I'm not Keith, but I do have the Greek word written down and I'm going to explain it to you. It, it, the word is uh katalambo. Is the Greek word katalam Bono, if it wasn't more difficult. The Greek word is katalambia. I've always been taught when it says, and the darkness does not comprehend, one of the meanings of the word comprehend, and your, your translations may say it, is the darkness didn't apprehend it. And one of the, the Greek can mean to obtain, it, it can mean obtain, it can mean grasp, it can mean take a hold of. And that's where I was always trained that the darkness cannot comprehend the light. It cannot take hold of the light. It cannot receive the light. And that's a picture of the depravity of a man's heart. That he does not, will not come to the light. He will avoid the light. And, and, and so I've always understood that this word, the darkness does not comprehend Sin in the nature of men does not come to God, does not seek God, doesn't have the ability to to believe and trust in God. It has to be a God's work. And so I've always understood it this way. The darkness does not do these things. And those are true things. And I think the primary meaning of the text. However, a fellow by the name of uh, John MacArthur, he believes this word can also mean overcome. So you may have in your version of the Bible, the darkness does not only comprehend, but the darkness does not overcome the light. So both of these, I come to the understanding that both of these things are true. Scripture is amazing that there can be two concepts and true truths that do not mutually exclude one another. So we say, the darkness does not comprehend, the darkness doesn't apprehend, obtain, grasp, take hold of, but praise the Lord, the darkness will not overcome the light. Okay? And so we understand this from truth, that the darkness will not overcome the light. Where, where are you at, Don, on the scripture? On, on the, the gates. 
Where am I? I am, uh, I'm in verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. 1-5. And so, I always understood it this way, and that is very true, but we can also understand it this way. MacArthur thinks that's the primary meaning of the text. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. Save Yes, yes, yes. The gates of hell will not overcome. That's probably, I would bet that's in Matthew 16. So that's good, huh? We can hope. We understand our dark natures. We understand our inabilities. But we also understand the power of Christ. And darkness will not overcome His purpose for why He's come. And He will be victorious. So we see that. Uh, any other comments about that thought? And we see this uh, in many uh, references. Uh, let's just look at a few of these. John 3.19. This concept of darkness. And we see this contrast that Jesus is the light. 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light is coming to the world. This is my understanding of this verse. And the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's always been my understanding of this word, comprehend. But uh, So we see that that, is a, uh, that sums up what I think. The men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We see 8.12, which is, I am the light. We see that 8.12. Look at Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world, 8.12. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Shall not walk according to the world's system, the schemes of the devil, our own proclivities to and the wickedness of our own hearts. So if you're walking in the light, you're not going to do that. Uh, and then we see uh, 46, uh, John, uh, tw- uh, let's go with John 12.35. We see this concept of darkness and light and the contrast between the two, 1235. Jesus so simply and so eloquently says, Jesus said to them a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness don't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Everybody understands this when we're talking about this concept of light, that Jesus is the source, right? He is the light. And we, we are called to be light and we're called to be salt. We are simply light reflectors. We are not the source of the light, but we point people to the light, right? And we're not to be, we're not to have our light hid under a bushel, but we are to evangelize and tell people about Christ. He is the source of it, and we simply reflect it just like uh, uh, the moon does not source its own light. It reflects the light of the sun, and so we are not the source of light, but we reflect in obedience who He is, okay, in our lives. So everybody understand that concept, and the darkness will not overcome it. And if you're still in John 12... Uh, Look at John 46, if you're still there. Jesus said, I have come as a light into this world, that whoever believes in me should not have their life characterized by darkness, shall not abide in darkness. Okay? So it is the opposite of what the devil does. We abide in the light as he is in the light, right? So we'll talk about that in great detail. Comments, questions about his pre-incarnate work. Yes, yes go ahead. That's right. Okay. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What are those verses, Brenda? 2 Corinthians 4, kind of 3 through 6. Thank you. Yes. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12, and also 318. Uh, 1 Corinthians 318. Unveiled face, beholding his embrace, the glory of the Lord changed into the same image. To be a light bearer requires spending time with the light. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you. So we see, now let's look at, everybody's got today's, as he continues, as he continues in the prologue, he then talks about, how he came to be manifest to men, and I believe I have this point C, and we look at his, Forerunner. For, forerunner. And this is going to be verses 5, 6 through 8. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. This man is a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe he's not that light, but he's sent to bear witness of that light. That was the... Tr- okay, and so we'll, uh, we'll stop at 8. No, let's do 9. That was a true light which gives light to every man coming to the world. Now we're talking about in this prologue, which he's going to later develop, we see this character, and he just calls him John. In the Gospels, he's called John the Baptizer, the Baptist. And uh, everybody knows why he's called John the Baptist? Because what? He baptizes people. And John is a... Six months older than Jesus, he is, he is from Elizabeth's womb, and he was born miraculously also. And he was born for a specific purpose, and that specific purpose was to announce the coming of the Christ. And so, John the Baptist breaks the 400 year, he breaks between, between 400 years. Let's just put that, I don't want to erase it. 400 years. So he is the silence. He breaks the, he breaks the silence between the 400 years. Since the writings of Malachi, there is no revelation from God. And so he is for, he is predicted in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, and he is predicted in Malachi that there is going to come one who is going to prepare the way of the Lord. So who's got Isaiah 43? 40 verse 3, he's going to prepare, and I'm going to call it the way because the disciples were known as followers of the way. And that's going to dovetail into I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we see this, that John the Baptist is the preparer of the way. Who's got Isaiah 40, verse 3? And I hope I'm, uh, I hope I'm going off my memory that that's the right one. And uh, that's a dangerous point. Beautiful. Thank you, Carol. And then we got Malachi, which we uh, did, it seems like, pretty recently, but it's almost been six months ago uh, as we looked at that. And uh, it has two different meanings. Uh, but we see that in Malachi 3 1. Uh, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Uh, and uh, also, this alludes to Christ, of course, but we do see that this is a, a uh, omen or a foreshadow that John the Baptist... And so he's a preparer of the way. And what is John's primary... God, what is John's primary message? Repent. Repent. He is preparatory for the coming kingdom that's at hand. He's coming for the church age. He's, he, is, he is preparatory. He is preparing the way 
for the Messiah to come, and his urgent request is to repent. And so he calls out for the men to repent. And John, uh, we see this in many verses uh, throughout the Scripture. Uh, let's look at uh, John. This is staying in the book of John, and we'll get into this again as we get into this great chapter. 534. One of John's uh, roles... Uh, uh, was to also be a witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we see Jesus, when He talks about His fourfold witness, He says, uh, 5.34, it says, Yet I don't receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. And then He's talking about John. He's the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in His light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which your Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me. So John uh, is, is, is given as a witness of the authenticity of Christ's claims that He is the I Am, the, the Yahweh, the self-existent One. So John is also a witness uh, of, of Christ. And he heard the Spirit say, God say to Jesus, This is my well-beloved Son in whom I'm well-pleased Hear him, right? And so he is a witness. Uh, he also we see, uh, uh, let's look at John 3, uh, 27 through 30. In this prologue, one of the things that it does, look at John, look at his humility and his understanding of his role in, in, uh, in God's providential plan. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing lest it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase. I must decrease. He who comes from above is... Above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth, and he who comes from heaven is above all. So John testifies that I'm not willing, he says later, I'm not willing to even unbuckle his shoe straps. He says, he is from heaven, I am from earth. He must increase, I must decrease. So we see this John the baptizer, he comes along and his role is preparatory and to be a witness, and he does that well. Matter of fact, Jesus says... He who has been born of women, there is not a greater than John the baptizer. But then he says, but, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What does that mean? It's all before and after. John is a forerunner, but those of us who come after have seen Christ. We've seen Him come. We've seen Him die. We've seen Him raised from the dead. And so we are a benefactor even greater than John the Baptist. He told us about it. We see it, okay? So we see John the Baptizer. Everybody understand that? And so we see all of this confirming that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? We see that. And John is a witness of the light. I've talked about that. John's not the source of light. He's a reflector of the light. I know, I like what Calvin said. The apostle was very careful not to obscure Christ's glory as he describes John the Baptist. It's all about Christ. John is a faithful created being sent to declare Christ, but obviously all, always. And we see this phrase, He's sent from God. I like what uh, another Calvin said. He said, All teachers must be called by God so that the authority may be founded on no one else but God. And so I could get into, must be called to be a teacher and all that kind of thing so that God would be glorified. But but I won't. So let's go to... Uh, 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 verse 9. Complicated verse. Verse 9. 
It is sort of translated as according to all of my commentators. It would best be translated. I think I have it written down. Uh, uh, D under C, uh, uh, part D. This is going to be his uh, rejection. His rejection. As we look at the book of John, it is fascinating that the book of his resurrect, his rejection is dominant theme of chapters 1 through 12. As he preaches to the Gentiles, he came into his own and his own received him not. We'll get into that in a second. But we understand that his people rejected him because they didn't have... We'll talk about all that. And then his rejection so is more fully described in chapters 1 through 12. It doesn't... It's not until chapter 13 through the rest of the book that he is accepted by his people. And that's going to be the apostles, and that's going to be the church. And so his rejection is described in great agonizing detail in the first 12 chapters, especially when you get into chapter 8, the argument, you know, we have Abraham to be our father. And then he said, before Abraham was, I I am. He talks about all this discourse between the unbelievers and him. So we see this. His rejection is going to be uh, verses 9 through, what do I got, 12 or 11? 11, beautiful. So he is rejected. That was a true light which gives light to every man. And the best translation of that is the true light coming into the world gives light to every man. The death, the burial, the life of Jesus Christ benefits every single person who's ever been born. Even though they do not believe in Him, the fact that He came and He lived His life benefits all men. Okay? We can't say that it doesn't. And so His life benefits all men. His his coming, His dying, His saving benefits all men. It says, uh, that was a true light which gives light to every man. So His illumination benefits all men. And it appeals... To all men's conscience. And so all men, through general revelation, have no excuse for their belief or unbelief. Scripture tells us in in Psalm 19 that He is the Creator and He created the heavens and the earth. And the creation itself is enough evidence that men are accountable to Him for His being on this earth. Even though they do not believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God, His general revelation through creation and His appearing on this planet is makes men inexcusable, right? So we see this in Psalm 19. I uh, won't let go. The heavens declare God's glory. The firmament declares His handiwork. Day into day utters speech, and night into night reveals language. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So, His coming into the world, His creative work as He creates the world, appeals to all men's conscience, and so all men are accountable. We see then, of course, in in Romans one that Paul. Uh, talks about this in great detail because the light has come into the world and it is it is a light to every man. So we know this. I'm not going to uh, detail it at all, but we know this. One uh, eighteen uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifested to them for God has shown it to them for since the foundation of the world His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that were made even as eternal power and Godhead that all men are without excuse because when they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful but came vain in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image make like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things and God gives them up to uncleanliness. So on and on. So His light, he's Him coming into the world... He was rejected by the world, but His coming into the world and His creative work 
are all a witness against believers, unbelievers. Okay, so we see that is enough, and so men are without excuse. Although they reject him, they are still without excuse. So everybody understand that? Uh, I like what verse 10 says. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now we have this concept, this is under rejection, this concept of the world. Now John uses this word world more than any other evangelist, and he uses it, uh, let me see if I've got it, 78 times John uses this phrase, world, 78 times. The world can mean creation. It can mean people. But most of the time, the world has a negative connotation, depending on the context, and it is the world system that is ruled by Satan. So when God said, Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he's talking about people. When he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, he that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, go on and on. That world means the world system ruled by Satan. Okay? So John speaks of the word world in those three things. In this context, he was in the world, the creative world in which he created. And the world was made through him. Again, creation. And the world did not know him. The people in the world did not know him because they were ruled by the God of this world who blinded in their eyes. So we see Jesus how he was rejected. He's in the world he created. And the world, he created world was made by him. But the world, the people in the, that he created didn't know him because of this connotation. So we see the world is, is very important, the word world. And it just depends on what connotation that you understand. Is he talking about this, this, or this? Most of the time it's talking about this world system. So we see that in verse 10. Everybody understand that? Uh, MacArthur says, It refers to the invisible spiritual system of evil dominated by Satan and all that it offers in opposition to God, His Word, and His people. Okay? So we see that. So he's rejected by the world in general, despite of his general revelation. And then the next... The next Verse we see is verse 11. He came into his own, and his own received him not. The first own is humanity, men, women, human beings. Jesus came into his own. The second own is the Jew. So he came unto his own humanity, of which he is. And his own, that Greek word, is his own people. And that is specifically talking about the Jew. And, the, and much of John, he, remember he's talking to the Jew and the Gentile, much of John is, Jesus is speaking of his rejection by his own people. He came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And we'll talk about that in great detail. So he came into his own human nature, his own people he created, and his own, his Jewish family descendants did not receive him. So that's his rejection. And this is the prologue. And much of John is going to be discussing the rejection of Christ by his own people, the Jew. Which we should be ready to address because we've talked about the nation of Israel for three years. 
his rejection. Everybody got this? And the last thing we're going to talk about, and I do want to finish this and I'll be very brief. We see his rejection, but then we see something glorious and we see... And how did I describe this? His reception. His reception. And we're going to discuss this in great detail. And when you first read this, you may be conflicted in what this means. But we we start talking about Nicodemus, about being born again. And the wind blows where it listeth, and you don't know where the wind comes from, and you don't know where it goes. The same is true of the being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. All of this is going to come into great focus. Remember, these are these are a big picture umbrella. We're going to see the detail of it, and the detail of it is going to help you with this verse. Because many misunderstand this verse. His his reception. But as many as received him. To them he gave. That word gave is gave is the same word for grace. He gave the he graced the authority to become children of God. He graced the authority. He is the source. His grace gives men the authority, the ability to become his children. This speaks of regeneration. And we'll talk about this in great detail to become the children of God. You hear this on uh, you hear this on television a lot. What is the difference? Are we all God's children? We're all created by Him, right? And so, in that sense, we are all children of God. We're His created beings. We're all created by Him, but we're not all His children. And we will, and we're not sons. And we'll talk about this. This requires regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts, the Holy Spirit produces this faith in us. And then as this faith is produced in us, uh, we don't know exactly. All these things occur simultaneously. Then we are adopted and we are taken from children of darkness and we're put into the kingdom of God. And so all of this verse is summarizing what's going on. He came into the... But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Look at this. Who were born not of blood. See, He's taking a... He's using that to describe the Jew. It's not because you are Jewish. It's not your family background. It's not of, of your blood... It's not of that. It's not of your will. It's, but it is God's will and it is of God. So as we talk about His reception, we're going to understand that our ability to become children of God is initiated and it is, and it is produced by God. It all comes from Him. And when we talk about uh, Romans, when we talk about John 6, I didn't choose you. you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And we'll talk about all that in great detail. This is going to be the umbrella. We're going to look at the underneath the umbrella later. But we understand that God initiates it and He produces it by His grace. And it's not because of your family background. It's not because of your works. And it's not because of your will. Okay? Uh, if we'll talk about this in great detail, but does anybody know what that verse says? Romans 9.16. It says, It's not of your will of your flesh, nor of the will of man, but it is of God. Who's got that one? This is going to dovetail what he's going to talk about in Romans 6. When he says, You're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And then he says... You don't believe. Why? Because you're not a sheep. In what? What Romans chapter, I mean, John chapter 8. And when we get into this, we're going to understand that it is, uh, actually, actually it's uh, John 10. It says, you don't believe because you are not my sheep. And we're going to get into this as he describes it. Who's got Romans 9, 16? 
Romans 9, 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Okay, so we'll talk about that, and that's going to dovetail this verse, that it's not of your flesh, it's not because of your will, it is because God initiates it, and God changes your will, and God gives you the ability to believe. And we'll talk about that in great detail as we get into this book. Everybody understand where we're going? Not man's will. I lost my train of thought. Not man's will. They start that line from the very beginning. Not man's will. No, it's supposed to be not family background. Oh, background. This here. Background. It's not not because you're a Jew. I will try to slow down. Blood? You were talking about the word blood, not of, not of your blood, or born of your blood, but meaning what faction of life you're born into, not a Jew, not a Hebrew, doesn't make you a believer. Right. You don't inherit it from your family You're not a uh, believer because your daddy's a preacher. It's not doesn't happen by osmosis. I'm going to finish here, and uh, next week we will uh, uh, so bring the lesson three, and then we'll do lesson four. But all of this, remember, is written for this reason, and we will get into all of the details of the verse that I just went over very hurriedly in great detail in multiple chapters. Comments, questions.